guys doing this morning? Well, like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be here for the very first time. We're good to see you here with, with us this morning. Anybody who is listening to us through our website or through our podcast, you're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Like Mandy said, we're continuing our service series uh, called Stuff Jesus Said. I don't know about you, but every now and then we're in a teaching series that I feel is almost more impactful to me than it is to the people I'm preaching uh, to. And so this has felt really impactful to me. Uh, And when I say impactful, I mean like challenging, not in a pat on the back kind of way, like, hey, you're hitting all the marks. It's been like, hey, you need to step up your game because, you know, you need to practice what you preach. And hopefully it's been both encouraging and challenging to you. Because what we've been saying over the last couple of weeks is that words really matter, right? We've been saying that for years, but we've really been highlighting that over the last couple of weeks throughout this series. And if you look at the news this week, some celebrities and some news personalities have found out really the hard way that their words matter, right? Folks are losing their jobs. You know, other people are losing their jobs because of other people's harmful words. But it highlights this reality that words are important. They really matter. They have a significant impact on life as we know it. And as people of faith, uh, words especially matter. And we've been saying that no words, no person's words have mattered more than the faithful, timeless words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His words matter so much so that we talk about him and his words every time we come into this building. Uh, We have his words be a guidepost for our lives, a steering wheel, if you would, a GPS system for how we live our lives, how we interact with the world, and how we relate to people. Because Jesus had plenty to say about the world we live in. He had plenty to say about the people of the world. He had plenty to say directly to us. He had loads to say about the kingdom and loads to say about himself. But one of the things that I hope you've noticed as we tried to flesh out, particularly zeroing in on the words of Jesus is that Jesus's words, many of them have what we've called an evangelistic lean. That is, Jesus tends to focus on uh, his purpose, his mission, and that is to seek, as he says, seek and save the lost. There's an evangelistic lean. There's an evangelistic, evangelistic tent to his words that it is not just helpful but necessary for us to pick on because we are supposed to be as evangelistic as Jesus was. In fact, our mission, our purpose is to continue the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' stated uh, purpose and goal is to seek and save the lost. And I'm here to tell you, if you didn't already know, that that's what we're called to be up to as well. And so it's great for us to focus on all sorts of things, but our primary mission and purpose outside of serving and worshiping God with everything that we are is to continue his ministry by seeking out and saving those who are lost. And so today, we continue this series by focusing on uh, humility, right? Humility is a word that many of us are familiar with, uh, but humility, I believe, starts uh, with having a right view of God, having a right view of God, because if we've said often, if you can see God for who he really is, something amazing happens. You begin to see yourself for who you really are, good, bad, and ugly, right? And something amazing happens when you can see yourself for who you really are, 
you end up having a sober-minded view of the world around you, which includes the people in the world around you. And so if you have a right view of God, you have a right view of yourself, you begin to see the world in a sober-minded way, and you can better relate to the world around you. And this is especially important for those of us who have embraced this evangelistic mission to go into all the world as Jesus commissions us to do and to seek and to save the lost, to preach the gospel, to baptize them, to be witnesses, to be salt and light. I want to suggest today that that starts with humility. I want to suggest today that we can't do that well. We can hardly do that at all if we don't start from a place of humility. And you can uh, talk about evangelism for a long time. You can look at many, many scriptures and never encounter the subject of humility. But I just want to help us to unpack that a little bit this morning in light of our evangelistic mission and purpose. I want to just remind you that humility is not having low self-esteem. It just simply means there's an evenness to how you view yourself. There's an evenness to how you view the world around you. If there's one thing that I've learned in my life, especially as I've walked with Jesus for many years, is that I want to humble myself before God has to humble me, right? I want to humble myself before God has to humble me. My mama used to say to me all the time, what, you need to fix your face before I come over there and fix it for you. <laughs> Anybody's mother, maybe they say exactly that, well, you fix your attitude because, because I can come over and fix it for you. And if your mom was like my mom, you didn't want your mom anywhere near your attitude, right? So what, basically what she was saying is, go ahead and tighten that up. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Otherwise, I'm going to come over there and straighten it out for you, right? And so the Lord says the same thing to us. He says, if you can't figure out how to square yourself with me and yourself and the world around you, I, you know, I have a way of helping you get to a place of humility. If you can't figure out how to bring yourself off the pedestal that you've allowed people to put yourself off, or, or that you perhaps have climbed up Jesus, I can help you with that if I need to. And so I think it behooves us this morning to figure out a way to humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves before others, before God has to do it, uh, mainly because we won't be on mission without humility. We won't be on mission. We won't be living out our purpose. We won't be seeing people come to faith. We won't be casting wonderful seeds of great Christian witness that draw other people into faith without humility. And so it's for that reason that we'll focus on humility uh, this morning. And Jesus says some powerful words. We'll look at them in Luke chapter 18. The title of this message is simply, If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. If you exalt yourself, these are the words of Jesus if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. We're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning, Luke chapter 18. If you feel free to turn there with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with, it, with you. Also, uh, if you uh, feel free to follow along on your phones or your tablets, we'll also be projecting the words on the screens. Luke chapter 18, we're talking about humility this morning. Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Luke chapter 18, where you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, that you give us an opportunity to interact with your word. You give us an opportunity to experience and walk in truth. You don't leave us just sort of flailing around. You come to us with your word, your truth, your light, and you show us a more excellent way. 
And so, Father, I pray that today would be no different. I pray, Father, that we've come in today with hearts ready to receive, and not just receive, but to respond to you. Father, for those of us who have allowed ourselves to become exalted in our own thinking, self-righteous, too high a view of ourselves, Father, I pray that in a loving way you would gently uh, help us to see a right view of you this morning so that we might have an even view of ourselves and the world around us. Father, put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning. Move the preacher out of the way and let your truth and light shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said... Luke chapter 18, I'm going to start this morning at verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. He continues in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'll read that last part again. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and on the other hand, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here's another fantastic parable that Jesus tells. It's a pretty popular one, although some of you might be interacting with it for the very first time. It's a pretty a popular parable that Jesus tells. And I believe this is a foundational uh, lesson that Jesus gives us today. And like so many of Jesus' sermons, his stories, and his parables, he frames for us the right way to go about things and the wrong way. I mean, you know, anything that you can get right, you can get wrong, right? Anything you get wrong, you can get right. And Jesus is often giving us two sides of the coin, the right way to do things, the wrong way to do things, the right way to view and approach God, the wrong way to do it, the right way to view yourself, the wrong way, the right way to relate, to view others, and the wrong way. This is a powerful foundational story that we should all lean in today because it's something in here for all of us. And there's so much in these few short verses, but I want to draw out Uh, out of this powerful lesson, Uh, but there's general lessons here about humility that should apply to all of life, Uh, but I'm asking you this morning to work hard to view this lesson in light of evangelism. Work hard to view this lesson this morning in light of our mission, in light of our purpose, and that is to continue the ministry and mission of Jesus to seek and save those who are lost. And in that spirit, I want to pull out five things, five things that I notice in this particular text that I want you to notice as well. And the first thing I notice is that Jesus aims this lesson at the proud. He aims this lesson at the proud. And so it's important to know that this isn't just a story that Jesus is telling, right? Jesus often tells stories, but this is a parable. 
right? The difference between a story and a parable, particularly if you try to make a point, is that if you're telling the story, particularly if you're, particularly if you're a truth teller, you have to stay true to the story and you're at the mercy of the point of that story. On the other hand, if you're making up a parable, you can like tailor that parable to, to fit exactly like the message that you're trying to portray, right? And so Jesus often makes up these parables because he's got a specific audience. He's got a specific aim. He's working towards something. And this particular parable is tailored toward the proud. Verse 9 says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He continues, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. And so Jesus lets us know right away that he's going to aim this story, this lesson, at the proud. And I just want to warn you this morning that some of you might get hit, okay? You, you might get hit. And if you get hit by this story, it's out of love, it's because God cares for you, because he needs you on mission, he needs you on purpose, don't feel condemned, but you might get hit this morning because many people have gotten hit throughout the ages with this story because he aims it specifically at the proud. And I don't know if you know this, but humans, we tend to like lean toward pride rather than humility, right? Like if we just let ourselves go and drift down the lazy river and go with the current, we don't like swim upstream. We don't float upstream toward uh, humility and, and humbleness and a right view of God, a right view of ourselves, a right view of others. We tend to drift downward towards being proud. And Jesus says he, he aims this story at those who had, Jesus' words, great confidence in what? Their own righteousness. And this is exactly what pride does. It puffs up. You have an inflated sense of your own righteousness, an inflated sense of your own importance, and usually you're the last person to know. You're the last person to figure it out. And as a result of their uh, great confidence, their overconfidence in their own righteousness, in their own goodness, in their own self-importance, they did what? They scorned everyone else. They scorned everyone else. And so pride is like, it really destroys things. It really destroys relationship with God. It, it, it destroys relationship with other people. Pride makes you hard to get along with. Pride makes you dishonest because this, you got to maintain this goody two-shoe. You got to maintain this sense that you got it together. And, and, and pride makes you dishonest. You don't want people to see the real you. You want to get at the core of the real issues. You, you, you're preoccupied with the externals. And so it makes you dishonest. Pride causes you to ride high. But guess what? When you ride high and when you fall, you fall hard, right? And so I, I just tell you, I, my, my instinct these days is just stay low to the ground. Because my humanity over and over and over has shown me that I will fall. And I don't want to fall from something high, right? When I was younger, man, we'd jump off of anything. We would jump off, you know, out of windows and I'm all talking. When you get older, you're like, I want to stay low to the ground. Kids are like, come up in this tree, daddy. I'm like, why? <laughs> right? 
And in the same way, my instinct, my Christian instinct, my maturity in the faith tells me I want to stay low to the ground because, right, I'm human. And for those of us who have exalted ourselves, for those of us who live in the neighborhood of pride, uh, we find this out the hard way that, that you ride high, but you fall hard. And so Jesus aims this lesson at those who are proud, those who are overconfident in themselves. The second thing I see here is that pride complicates our relationship with God, doesn't it? Pride complicates our relationship with God. In fact, uh, uh, the, the uh, pride starts with a wrong view of God. I love a passage of scripture that we've interacted with over and over here in Isaiah 6. Uh, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on his throne. And what follows is Isaiah being able to see God for who he is, his problems in the world around him for who he is. He sees himself for who he is, and he's able to be on mission. Why? Because he begins with a high view of God. He begins with a high view of God. He doesn't see God as his buddy. He doesn't see God as his pal. He doesn't see God as his peer. He starts with a right, high view of God, which provides for him perspective, and he knows how to relate to God. He knows I didn't come low when I come to the Lord. But we see this fellow, the Pharisee, the tax collector, the person you don't want to be like in this story, he hadn't got this memo. He clearly doesn't have a high view of God. You say, preacher, how do you know? Well, let's read verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater, sinner, an adulterer. I'm certainly not like this tax collector over here. I'm sorry, the Pharisee prayed this prayer. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Lord, aren't you glad to have me? Now, before you laugh, you know, we're good Christians. We, we know not to say it quite like this, but, but if you, you know, dissect the bones of our prayers, there are trace elements of this sort of stinking thinking because our relationship with God has been complicated, corrupted by our pride. One of my favorite commentary writers, J. Vernon McGee, says this is not a prayer at all. This is a personal pep talk that he could have had this talk in, in his mirror before he left the house. He's reading out loud his own press clippings. He's watching his own highlight reel, and this prayer will not even reach the rafters of the temple, much less heaven. He's talking to himself. He's puffing himself up. He's taking a cosmic selfie of himself and sending it to God. How do I know if I'm proud? Listen to your prayers. God, I just thank you that I was able to give that money to the homeless guy. I just thank you. You know, I just thank you that I'm awesome. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. You were right. I am awesome. <laughs> or whatever version, or however you edit this, or how you, you know, take the edge off of it, however you pray. But, but, but listen to your prayers. And what happens is you have a complicated relationship with God, and then you have complicated interactions with God like this guy has because he's proud. He has a high view of himself, a lower view of God, 
and it messes everything up. I asked the question again. He said, preacher, how do I know if I'm proud? Well, I ask you, are you harder on yourself or are you harder on others? Because the third thing I see in this passage is that not only does pride complicate our relationship with God, but pride complicates our view of others. Doesn't just complicate our relationship with God. It complicates the other half of our purpose. Love God, right? Second half is love people. And you can't love people right if you don't view them right. You can't love them right if you don't have due regard for who they are as people made in the image and likeness of God, a much worth in value. Pride corrupts, complicates our view of others. We read verse 11 again. He stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I'm certainly not like this guy over here. And so not only does he have a general view of most people, he rattles them off, sinners and cheaters, adulterers, and every time he lists off something that he's not, he, he, he goes up a floor, right? His chest inflates a little bit more. These nameless, faceless people that he's naming, but there in the temple is a person that he can fix his eyes on and say, listen, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than him. That tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Pride is just this corrupt internal state, this internal reality that causes us to, to overvalue and overfocus on the externals of life, right? And this is like a real mark of Christian maturity. Or I should say maturity in general. Like if you find yourself like over, like more concerned with the externals, more concerned with how you look and how things look and how they come off, rather than, as we said last week, the state of your soul, the state of your life with Jesus, it's one of the sure signs that you're becoming consumed and corrupted, not by humility, but by pride. I'll say that again. If you find that you're over-concerned, you're consumed with how things look. Now, don't get me wrong. How things look are really, really important. How you come off and how things come are really, really important, but, but not at the expense of, like, like, your soul. Like, if you've got to deal with one first, like, deal with your guts, because I've found that if my guts are right, my soul's intact, my relationship with Jesus is intact, then generally speaking, the, 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 you know, the rest flows from that. And so there's no wonder why the scriptures tell us that God hates pride. He hates pride. It's degenerative. It's going to keep getting worse. It's not going to fix itself. You're not going to snap out of pride. It just goes down and down and down unless something like pushes back against it. God hates pride because it is wholly corruptible. And it will, pride, in time, make a fool of you. It will, in time, disqualify you from your mission, and that is to be, you know, continue the ministry of Jesus. God hates pride because pride will have you sweeping the porch of your life, painting the outside of your life, 
cutting the grass of your life all while the inside of your house is in ruins. All while the inside of your house and your heart and your soul is filthy, consumed with all types of immorality, consumed with all manner of things that was just rotting the house from the inside out, and here you are sweeping the porch, waving at the neighbors, overly concerned with what people say and think, and overly concerned with the externals. But that's not where it stops. Because this old, you know, preoccupation with the externals of your own life doesn't just stop with you. You internalize that that's how it's supposed to go. And so guess what? You have a preoccupation and you're over-focused on the obvious things of other people's life. The obvious sort of external things, right? You're not worried about the state of somebody's heart. You're not worried about what Jesus is doing on the inside of their heart. You're just going after the low-hanging fruit. You just go after what you can see. You become terribly judgmental of people and we you know we'll unpack that more next week in short you become the measuring stick for righteousness and not Jesus and when I become your measuring stick for righteousness I'm in trouble and in a way, you're in trouble with me because you will never measure up because, well, I'm always going to only measure myself up against people who I feel like, you know, don't quite measure up for me. People with this issue, they, they don't go to people who are more righteous than themselves, right? And so when all this begins to take root in your life, there's a problem. Because it complicates our view of God, complicates our view of others. And when you're in the throes of pride, as this Pharisee was, the fourth thing comes out. Uh, We begin to miss things. We begin to miss things, important things. We miss important things about ourselves. Again, we can't really do our own self-assessment well because we're not coming to God in the right way. We're not allowing him to be a a clean, clear mirror that reflects back who we really are. But the biggest thing you begin to miss is you you begin to uh, miss things about others, really important things. Because this guy who is being so terribly judged by the Pharisee is having a real, like, come to Jesus moment. Like, he's, he's having a moment. Like, this is good stuff that's happening in his life. Let's read it, verse 13. But the tax collector, now, now, just compare this prayer to the Pharisees' prayer, right? The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now compare these two prayers. One, I told you, was just like a prep talk. It was just a guy, you know, taking a cosmic selfie, sending it to God. But but this this is different. And I told you earlier that Jesus is giving us two choices. He's giving us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Like, this is like the right posture. This is, this is how we're supposed to come to God. But the Pharisee, in his puffed-up state, Pharisee so full of himself, too busy sweeping the porch of his life and dealing with the externals, ignoring the corruptible state of his soul, he also misses this moment that's happening with the tax collector. 
Because where is the tax collector? Tax collector, this despised person, is in the temple. He's come to church. He's come to worship, which is no small thing. He's come to worship. He's right there with the Pharisee in the house of worship, and this has totally escaped the Pharisee because his view of others as a result of his own pride has been corrupted. The Pharisee is there, excuse me, I'm sorry, the tax collector is there praying, and this might be a minor miracle in itself. It might be an indication that the Spirit is drawing him, which is the first step for people coming to faith. The second question is, what's his posture? What is the posture of the tax collector? Verse 13 tells us, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Again, this is another thing he missed. That the posture of this man was not puffed up in pride. He didn't strut, you know, to the front of the church, right in front of the altar, presumably where the Pharisee was. The scriptures tell us that he, he, he stood at a distance. He had a posture of humility. Wasn't quite sure that God would have heard his prayer. Not quite sure that he was welcome. He, he was in the back, kind of like you do when you come and you're not quite right with the Lord. Not quite sure if the roof's going to cave in because you finally came to church. What do you say? You come down front? <laughs> no, no you, sit, you sit in the back. I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody who's sitting in the back. I'm just, I'm just saying over the years, I've just noticed that there's a, uh, just a lowliness to those who have recognized their need for a Savior. There's almost this sense that this thing might not take, he might not accept me, but but I need something, right? And I have worked really hard over the years to, to, to try to recognize this posture because it's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest signs of receptivity to God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are what the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Another version says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit because they are low enough, right? Humble enough, they're base enough to receive what God has for them. They're humble enough to know that they need something outside of themselves, something bigger than themselves in order to cut it. The pride don't have that, they don't have that advantage, right? And so I've learned to pay attention to a posture of humility, almost a sense of like, I'm not worthy. Is this, am I going to be accepted here? He dare not come close, dare not even lift his eyes toward heaven. Instead, with sorrow, he beat his chest. And his words give it all away. What is he saying? We've looked at where he is. We've looked at his posture. What is he saying he beat his chest in sorrow and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. The Pharisee missed all of this. He missed all of this because he was too busy rehearsing his highlights. He missed all of this because he focused on himself. Missed, missed all this because he was using himself as a measuring stick for other people 
And when you're using yourself as a measuring stick for other people, you naturally, you don't naturally see what they're doing right. You don't naturally see the good. You are drawn toward what's wrong. I was struck this week by just a lot of things that passed my my social media. There was some, I mean, every week there's something, but there are some people who made some pretty big mistakes. You know, you talk about Roseanne. If you're watching the NBA Finals, you J.R. Smith. You know, he missed a really important play. And I just watch, I just watch my timeline just light up with all sorts of memes, all sorts of posts that just seem to glory in other people's worst moments. And I thought, pastorally, how do, how do I speak to this? Pastorally, how do I awaken our hearts to the reality that we are supposed to like cover the nakedness of others, that we are not to glory in the failures and the worst moments of others? How, how, do, I, how, do, I, how do I bring that before the people? And I feel like, well, just say, well, just say it. I posted on social media this week, you know, one of the great tests of Christian character, one of the great tests of maturity is how we relate to people when they're down, how we relate to people in their worst moments. And I think we can be rocked to sleep viewing celebrities and public figures as people who are far off, that we can dehumanize them. But, But these are people made in God's image and likeness, and we're minimally, we're breaking the golden rule, which asks us to do only to others what we would like to be done to ourselves to regard others in a way that we would like to be regarded. And this is generally true as to how do we relate to the world around us, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's strangers, whether it's public figures, whether it's in person on, on social media. Like we are called to see people the way God sees them, made in his image and likeness of much worth and value. This is especially true for those of us who wish to be on mission wish to be, uh, live evangelistic lives that seek to, like at every turn in life, be ready to respond as Christ would to those around us. And the point that I'm making is the Pharisee, for many reasons, the chief among them is his pride. He's missing what's happening with this guy. And we're guilty of that as well. So not only did he miss the fact that the tax collector was in church praying with a posture of humility, he didn't hear that his words were like low and humble and ready to receive. And so generally what he missed, he, he, he missed like the, the, the fact that this guy, his, his arrow like is pointing toward Jesus. His arrow is pointing toward the kingdom. And so when I say, you know, when I say which way is his arrow pointing, which is a, a common question that I ask these days, it speaks to this whole notion, like when we were growing up, it was like either you were in or out when it comes to Jesus. Did you pray the prayer? Did you, did you accept Jesus like, uh, are, you, are you a sinner or are you a saint, right? Are you in or are you out? I, I think that there is some truth, some, some, some necessity to that question, but as a person who is trying to continue the ministry of Jesus, more, more, more now than ever, I ask the question, like, which, which way is their arrow pointing? Now, that can be a confusing uh, sort of picture. So I want to illustrate that. Can I have three volunteers real quick? Denise? <laughs> she knows I was going to just call her up She's, if she, she didn't. One more. Annie. Okay, Annie, you're Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're Annie. Okay. But you're playing Jesus in this little kid. Okay, so stand right here, Jesus. Okay, this is Jesus, right? Denise, you are 
the Pharisees. Turn that way, please. Alicia, you're the tax collector. Could you step back a little bit? Because you're not that close to Jesus. Yes, yes. Now look at this. This is Jesus, right? This is the Pharisee, and this is the tax collector, right? And so the Pharisee, because of the externals, appears to be like proximate, quite close to Jesus, right? But which way is she facing, right? She's facing away from Jesus, right? So as life rolls out, if we step, 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 don't step just yet, uh, she's going to get further away from him, right? Now we look at the tax collector who, by, by just her, her, her trade, profession, you know, we talked about tax collectors last week, despised people, robbing their own countrymen, working for the uh, occupying government, collecting taxes more than they should take, enriching themselves uh, uh, on the backs of their own countrymen. Like, this is a despised figure in the society, right? And so from the looks of things, like, she is super far from Jesus, right? But when I consider where she is, she's in the temple praying, her posture of humility, what she's saying, God, forgive me, her arrow is actually facing toward Jesus. And so as we play this out, you just walk, just walk. As life just goes on, as life <laughs> keep going, keep going. Who, who's, who's pressing toward, you can stop, Denise. Who's pressing toward Jesus? <laughs> right? Thank you, ladies. And so this, this, is what, this is what we miss. This is what we miss when we're full of our own pride. Right? This is what we miss when we've just conditioned ourselves to look at externals. We're not, we're not ready to be great evangelists. We're not ready to have our radar up to see what Jesus is doing. We're not ready to ask the right questions and to look for the right things. Because our pride and our humility, our, uh, excuse me, our lack of humility, our preoccupation with ourselves, which makes us preoccupied with looking the part, causes us to miss really important things the most important among them is which way is a person's arrow pointing now don't get me wrong there comes a point where either you've made a decision to follow jesus or you haven't i don't want to i don't want to muddy that point each and every one of us will have to make a firm decision to follow jesus and to forsake everything else I'm just saying that that process begins somewhere. And if we're called to disciple and nurture people toward faith, toward Jesus, we have to be able to identify which way their arrow is pointing. We have to be able to be sensitive to what the Spirit is already doing on the inside of them so that we don't miss opportunities, right? To be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that the point of this story was that this guy should have been ministering, right, to the tax collector because, you know, the scriptures paint these Pharisees as people who weren't even, they weren't even Christians themselves. But they were, for us, caricatures of people who thought themselves righteous, who thought much of themselves, who would swear up and down that they were living like a godly life, but they were missing the point altogether. And I'm just saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that gal because we're called to be on mission. Pharisee missed some things. But the fifth and final observation that I make here is that Jesus doesn't miss it. Jesus sees it all. 
Verse 14 says this, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now there's so many sermons just packed into verse 14 alone. There's a challenge for those of us who exalt ourselves, because not only do we miss what God is doing around us, not only do we miss what God wants to do on the inside of us, but we miss an opportunity to receive true eternal life. If you look closely at what Jesus is saying here, it's because he's basically saying that pride will disqualify you from the kingdom. Pride stands in the way of true salvation, which only comes through humble submission to God and all that God requires. Exalting yourself will disqualify you from entering the kingdom. And I don't want that point to be lost today because pride is where many of us live, present company included. And so if we don't allow God to confront our pride because he sees it, he sees it, it will not only disqualify us from being on mission, but it disqualifies us from inheriting eternal life, which is the whole point of all of this. The other lesson in this is that Jesus sees the hearts of those who come to him with a humble posture and a humble disposition. This is important for those of you who are here today who you are far from the Lord. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you're far from God. You, you've, you've gone away from him for some reason, and you just felt, you know, the enemy loves to tell you, hey, you're just, you're too far gone. You've just messed up. You, you've been away too long. And what we see in this text is that this guy, though he's a despised person, he's up to no good, but when he comes to God the right way, when he approaches God the right way, with humble disposition, a humble posture, aware of his sinfulness, that Jesus says this man was exalted, this man was justified because of his disposition, because of how he approached the Lord. Jesus sees it all. You can fool me with your swept porch and your well-manicured lawn and your well-painted exteriors, right? And the fake plastic smile as you wave to us on the porch. Like, like, you can fool me. But you can't fool Jesus. And Jesus says in so many words, what, what good does it do you to gain the favor of men? To have people pass by your house and go, sure, they sure must have it together. What good does all that do if, if, if like the guts of your soul like the interior of your heart and life is rotting from the inside out. What, like, what good is all that? And so if you forget everything else that I said, remember this, Jesus sees. And so we go back to the question that we asked last week, how's your soul? How's your soul? You say, why does he keep asking that? Because that's the only question that matters. That's the only question that matters. Because if your soul's right, 
It means you see God for who he is. You see yourself for who you are. You're going to be on mission. You're going to have an even sober-minded view of the world around you, and you're going to be on mission. You're going to be doing what you call to do. You're going to be loving people right. You're going to be loving your kids right, loving your spouse right, walking in healthy singleness. Come on. How's your soul? Everything flows from that. Jesus sees. And so I believe what the Lord would do this morning, worship team, you can come up, is he would just free all of us. Free all of us from a preoccupation of what others might think of us, right? Because this, this is what pride's all about. You got to look good, right? And I just laugh at people who say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever said that? I just laugh. I go, did you brush your teeth today? Like you ironed your clothes, you did your hair, you did that for you? Of course we care what people think about That's normal. You should brush your teeth, right? You should be concerned with how you come off. But I just want to free you this morning to, to focus primarily on your gut, on your soul. And that your first question would be, is Jesus pleased with my life? Your first question would be, is Jesus pleased with the decisions that I'm making? Is, like, is my relationship right with him? Because everything, friends, everything else will flow from that. And as we talk about being people of purpose, being people who are on mission, the only way we're going to see the world, around, excuse me, the people in the world around us in a way uh, that will cause us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be salt and to be light, to seek and save those that are lost, is that we deal with our pride, right? Humble ourselves before the Lord so that we can allow us to see others the way he sees them. And we don't miss these important things. We don't miss opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So humble yourself before God has to do it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word, the truth, sharp word that's aimed at the proud today, Father. And Father, if we got hit this morning, we say thank you. If you challenged us, if you shook us, if you came down our road this morning, Father, we say thank you because you know we know that you have work for us to do. Father, we thank you that you care about our souls. We thank you that you give us permission to be less concerned with the exterior and to focus on our guts this morning. Father, would you help us to do that? Father, I know that pride can just be a learned behavior that just we just learned to roll with it for many, many years. It's going to take the power of your spirit to help us to change course, to have different values. But Father, may we chase hard after you this morning. And Father, may you continue to give us eyes to see what you're doing in the people around us. May we ask the question, which way is the arrow pointing? May we have eyes to see what the Spirit is doing. Teach us, Lord. Humble us before your mighty hand. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said,